Chapter Twelve of Mrs. Dalloway. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Mrs. Dalloway by Virginia Woolf. Chapter Twelve. Well, Ellie, how's the world treating you? he said in his genial way and ellie henderson getting nervous and flushing and feeling that it was extraordinarily nice of him to come and talk to her said that many people really felt the heat more than the cold yes they do said richard dalloway yes but what more did one say hello richard said somebody taking him by the elbow and good lord there was old peter old peter walsh he was delighted to see him ever so pleased to see him he hadn't changed a bit and off they went together walking right across the room giving each other little pats as if they hadn't met for a long time ellie henderson thought watching them go certain she knew that man's face a tall man middle-aged rather fine eyes dark wearing spectacles and a look of john burroughs edith would be sure to know the curtain with its flight of birds of paradise blew out again and clarissa saw she saw ralph lyon beat it back and go on talking so it wasn't a failure after all it was going to be all right now her party it had begun it had started but it was still touch and go she must stand there for the present people seemed to come in a rush colonel and mrs garrett mr hugh whitbread mr bowley mrs hillbury lady mary maddox mr quinn intoned wilkin she had six or seven words with each and they went on they went into the rooms into something no not nothing since ralph lyon had beat back the curtain and yet for her own part it was too much of an effort she was not enjoying it it was too much like being just anybody standing there anybody could do it yet this anybody she did a little admire couldn't help feeling that she had anyhow made this happen that it marked a stage this post that she felt herself to have become for oddly enough she had quite forgotten what she looked like but felt herself a stake driven in at the top of her stairs every time she gave a party she had this feeling of being something not herself and that every one was unreal in one way much more real in another it was she thought partly their clothes partly being taken out of their ordinary ways partly the background 
it was possible to say things you couldn't say anyhow else things that needed an effort possibly to go much deeper but not for her not yet anyhow how delightful to see you she said dear old sir harry he would know everyone and what was so odd about it it was the sense one had as they came up the stairs one after another mrs mount and celia herbert Ainsty, mrs dacres oh and lady brutton how awfully good of you to come she said and she meant it it was odd how standing there one felt them going on going on some quite old some what name lady rossiter but who on earth was lady rossiter clarissa that voice it was sally satan sally satan after all these years she loomed through a mist for she hadn't looked like that sally seaton when clarissa grasped the hot water can to think of her under this roof under this roof not like that all on top of each other embarrassed laughing words tumbled out passing through london heard from clara hayden what a chance of seeing you so i thrust myself in without an invitation one might put down the hot water can quite composedly the lustre had gone out of her yet it was extraordinary to see her again older happier less lovely they kissed each other first this cheek then that by the drawing-room door and clarissa turned with sally's hand in hers and saw her rooms full heard the roar of voices saw the candlesticks the blowing curtains and the roses which richard had given her i have five enormous boys said sally she had the simplest egotism the most open desire to be thought first always and clarissa loved her for being still like that i can't believe it she cried kindling all over with pleasure at the thought of the past but alas wilkins wilkins wanted her wilkins was emitting a voice of commanding authority as if the whole company must be admonished and the hostess reclaimed from frivolity one name the prime minister said peter walsh the prime minister was it really ellie henderson marveled what a thing to tell edith one couldn't laugh at him he looked so ordinary you might have stood in behind a counter and bought biscuits poor chap all rigged up in gold lace and to be fair as he went his rounds first with clarissa then with richard escorting him 
he did it very well he tried to look somebody it was amusing to watch nobody looked at him they just went on talking yet it was perfectly plain that they all knew felt to the marrow of their bones this majesty passing this symbol of what they all stood for english society old lady brutton and she looked very fine too very stalwart in her lace swam up and they withdrew into a little room which at once became spied upon guarded and a sort of stir and rustle rippled through every one openly the prime minister lord lord the snobbery of the english thought peter walsh standing in the corner how they loved dressing up in gold lace and doing homage there that must be by jove it was hugh whitbread snuffing around the precincts of the great grown rather fatter rather whiter the admirable hugh he looked always as if he were on duty thought peter a privileged but secretive being hoarding secrets which he would die to defend though it was only some little piece of tittle-tattle dropped by a court footman which would be in all the papers to-morrow such were his rattles his baubles in playing with which he had grown white come to the verge of old age enjoying the respect and affection of all who had the privilege of knowing this type of the english public school man inevitably one made up things like that about hugh that was his style the style of those admirable letters which peter had read thousands of miles across the sea in the times and had thanked god he was out of that pernicious hubble bubble if it were only to hear baboons chatter and coolies beat their wives an olive-skinned youth from one of the universities stood obsequiously by him he would patronize initiate teach how to get on for he liked nothing better than doing kindnesses making the hearts of old ladies palpitate with the joy of being thought of in their age their affliction thinking themselves quite forgotten that here was dear hugh driving up and spending an hour talking of the past remembering trifles praising the homemade cake though hugh might eat cake with a duchess any day of his life and to look at him probably did spend a good deal of time in that agreeable occupation the all-judging the all-merciful might excuse peter walsh had no mercy villains there must be and god knows the rascals who get hanged 
were battering the brains of a girl out in a train do less harm on the whole than hugh whitbread and his kindness look at him now on tiptoe dancing forward bowing and scraping as the prime minister and lady brutton emerged intimating for all the world to see that he was privileged to say something something private to lady brutton as she passed she stopped she wagged her fine old head she was thanking him presumably for some piece of servility she had her toadies minor officials in government offices who ran about putting through little jobs on her behalf in return for which she gave them luncheon but she derived from the eighteenth century she was all right and now clarissa escorted her prime minister down the room prancing sparkling with the stateliness of her gray hair she wore earrings and a silver-green mermaid's dress lolloping on the waves and braiding her tresses she seemed having that gift still to be to exist to sum it all up in the moment as she passed turned caught her scarf in some other woman's dress unhitched it laughed all with the most perfect ease and air of a creature floating in its element but age had brushed her even as a mermaid might behold in her glass the setting sun on some very clear evening over the waves there was a breath of tenderness her severity her prudery her woodenness were all warm through now and she had about her as she said good-bye to the thick gold-laced man who was doing his best and good luck to him to look important as inexpressible dignity an exquisite cordiality as if she wished the whole world well and must now being on the very verge and rim of things take her leave so she made him think but he was not in love indeed clarissa felt the prime minister had been good to come and walking down the room with him with sally there and peter there and richard very pleased with all those people rather inclined perhaps to envy she had felt that intoxication of the moment that dilatation of the nerves of the heart itself till it seemed to quiver steeped upright yes but after all it was what other people felt that for though she loved it and felt it tingle and sting still these semblances these triumphs dear old peter for example thinking her so brilliant had a hollowness at arm's length they were not in the heart and it might be that she was growing old 
but they satisfied her no longer as they used and suddenly as she saw the prime minister go down the stairs the gilt rim of the sir joshua picture of the little girl with a muff brought back kelman with a rush kelman her enemy that was satisfying that was real ah how she hated her hot hypocritical corrupt with all that power elizabeth's seducer the woman who had crept in to steal and defile richard would say what nonsense she hated her she loved her it was enemies one wanted not friends not mrs durant and clara sir william and lady brashaw miss trulock and eleanor gibson whom she saw coming upstairs they must find her if they wanted her she was for the party there was her old friend sir harry dear sir harry she said going up to the fine old fellow who had produced more bad pictures than any other two academicians in the whole of st john's wood they were always of cattle standing in sunset pools absorbing moisture or signifying for he had a certain range of gesture by the raising of one foreleg and the toss of antlers the approach of the stranger all his activities dining out racing were founded on cattle standing absorbing moisture in sunset pools what are you laughing at she asked him for willie titcombe and sir harry and herbert anstey were all laughing but no sir harry could not tell clarissa delaway much though he liked her of her type he thought her perfect and threatened to paint her his stories of the music hall stage he chafed her about her party he missed his brandy these circles he said were above him but he liked her respected her in spite of her damnable difficult upper-class refinement which made it impossible to ask clarissa delaway to sit on his knee and up came that wandering will-o'-the-wisp that vagulous phosphorescence old mrs hilbury stretching her hands to the blaze of his laughter about the duke and the lady which as she heard it across the room seemed to reassure her on a point which sometimes bothered her if she woke up early in the morning and did not like to call her maid for a cup of tea how it is certain we must die they won't tell us their stories said clarissa dear clarissa exclaimed mrs hilbury she looked to-night she said so like her mother as she first saw her walking in a garden in a gray hat and really clarissa's eyes filled with tears her mother 
walking in a garden but alas she must go for there was professor Greerly, who lectured on milton talking to little john hutton who was unable even for a party like this to compass both tie and waistcoat or make his hair lie flat and even at this distance they were quarrelling she could see for professor Greerly was a very queer fish with all those degrees the honours lectureships between him and the scribblers he suspected instantly an atmosphere not favourable to his queer compound his prodigious learning and timidity his wintry charm without cordiality his innocence blent with snobbery he quivered if made conscious by a lady's unkempt hair a youth's boots of an underworld very creditable doubtless of rebels of ardent young people of would-be geniuses and intimated with a little toss of the head with a sniff <laughs> the value of moderation of some slight training in the classics in order to appreciate milton professor brearley clarissa could see wasn't hitting it off with little jim hutton who wore red socks his black being in the laundry about milton she interrupted she said she loved bach so did hutton that was the bond between them and hutton a very bad poet always felt that mrs delaway was far the best of the great ladies who took an interest in art it was odd how strict she was about music she was purely impersonal she was rather a prig but how charming to look at she made her house so nice if it weren't for her professors clarissa had half a mind to snatch him off and set him down at the piano in the back of the room for he played divinely but the noise she said the noise the sign of a successful party nodding urbanely the professor stepped delicately off he knows everything in the whole world about milton said clarissa does he indeed said hutton who would imitate the professor throughout hampstead the professor on milton the professor on moderation the professor stepping delicately off but she must speak to that couple said clarissa lord gayton and nancy Lowe. not that they added perceptibly to the noise of the party they were not talking perceptibly as they stood side by side by the yellow curtains they would soon be off elsewhere together and never had very much to say in any circumstances they looked that was all that was enough they looked so clean so sound she 
with an apricot bloom of powder and paint but he scrubbed rinsed with the eyes of a bird so that no ball could pass him or stroke surprise him he struck he lapped accurately on the spot ponies mouths quivered at the end of his reins he had his honors ancestral monuments banners hanging in the church at home he had his duties his tenants a mother and sisters had been all day at lord's and that was what they were talking about cricket cousins the movies when mrs dalloway came up lord gayton liked her most awfully so did miss blow she had such charming manners it is angelic it is delicious of you to have come she said she loved lords she loved youth and nancy dressed at enormous expense by the greatest artists in paris stood there looking as if her body had merely put forth of its own accord a green frill i had meant to have dancing said clarissa for the young people could not talk and why should they shout embrace swing be up at dawn carry sugar to ponies kiss and caress the snouts of adorable chows and then all tingling and streaming plunge and swim but the enormous resources of the english language the power it bestows after all of communicating feelings at their age she and peter would have been arguing all evening was not for them they would solidify young they would be good beyond measure to the people on the estate but alone perhaps rather dull what a pity she said i had hoped to have dancing it was so extraordinarily nice of them to have come but talk of dancing the rooms were packed there was old aunt helena in her shawl alas she must leave them lord gayton and nancy blown there was old miss perry her aunt for miss helena perry was not dead miss perry was alive she was past eighty she ascended staircases slowly with a stick she was placed in a chair richard had seen to it people who had known burma in the seventies were always led up to her where had peter got to they used to be such friends and at the mention of india or ceylon her eyes only one was glass slowly deepened became blue beheld not human beings she had no tender memories no proud illusions about viceroys generals mutinies it was orchids she saw and mountain passes and herself carried on the backs of coolies in the sixties over solitary peaks or 
descending to uproot orchids startling blossoms never beheld before which she painted in watercolor an indomitable englishwoman fretful if disturbed by the war say which dropped a bomb at her very door from her deep meditation over orchids and her own figure journeying in the sixties in india but here was peter come and talk to aunt helena about burma said clarissa and yet he had not said a word with her all evening we will talk later said clarissa leading him up to aunt helena in her white shawl with her stick peter walsh said clarissa that meant nothing clarissa had asked her it was tiring it was noisy but clarissa had asked her so she had come it was a pity that they lived in london richard and clarissa if only for clarissa's health it would have been better to live in the country but clarissa had always been fond of society he has been in burma said clarissa ah she could not resist recalling what charles darwin had said about her little book on the orchids of burma End of chapter twelve